You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Today, I'm honored to welcome in clinical psychologist, motivator, and creator of the Sustainable Life Satisfaction Program, Dr. Jennifer Gutman. Jennifer's mission is to use her experience, expertise, voice, and pen to help people realize there is a path to sustainable life satisfaction through the belief in your own inherent lovability. On the show today, we're going to talk about the SLS program and how this unique approach, developed out of her own personal challenges and the successes of her clients, has become such an incredible resource for not only her personal clients, but those who take part in her YouTube series as well. So there's lots of great stuff to talk about, and I'm excited to share it with you. So let's jump right into my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Gutman. So welcome, Jennifer, to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you? I'm good, and thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure, and thank you again so much. I, I appreciate you some, uh, taking some time out of your day here, especially in the evening, to join me here on Beyond Your Past. I'm super excited to learn more about um, sustainable life and your practice um, as a cognitive behavioral therapist and all, all, all this kind of great stuff. So why don't we jump right in, and you can share a little bit about yourself and some of the areas that you specialize in. That sounds great. Thanks. Um, so I've you know, I have had my own private practice for coming out about 15 years. I started off in Westport, Connecticut, specializing in cognitive behavior therapy. I see children, adolescents, and adults for individual and couples therapy. About 40% of those clients suffer from serious mental health issues, and the rest see me for transient or developmental life issues. And about three or four years ago, I decided to expand the practice to New York City, and I've been seeing people in New York City with the same model and the same uh, group of people there since then, and that's been really exciting for me to have been able to expand it both, you know, the practice both to Connecticut, you know, in Connecticut and in New York, um, especially because I'm so passionate about cognitive behavior therapy and, you know, now also sustainable life satisfaction is. Tell me some more about the challenges that you faced, you know, in, you know, kind of um, working in New York and, and um, transitioning into this new model as well. And just, you know, maybe, maybe share a little bit more about what that's been like. I mean, a lot of the challenges that I had faced for me had been that I have a hard time saying no. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really passionate about what I do. So even if I have a lot of people that I'm seeing and I have been known to see even 17 people in a day, um, if I get a stressed or scared parent on the phone or a client calls who has a particularly challenging situation that they're dealing with, which I 
find interesting. It's really hard for me to turn anybody away because even though I've been doing this for more than 20 years, I love it as much as when I started or maybe even more. And so turning anybody away or putting them on a wait list is not something that I'm asked to do. And so very hard for me to say no. <laughs> and so I kind of have a reputation for that, that, you know, that I will just keep taking more and more people on, which started in Connecticut and I kind of have that same reputation in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can kind of relate to that a little bit too. Um, you know, I like, I have my own coaching practice and then, um, you know, as well as I, I do these podcasts every week and whenever, whenever somebody really wants to try and get in on a podcast or something, I'm like, well, I, I really should only stick to my schedule of recording once a week. But, you know, if something sounds really interesting or I have a little spare time, sometimes I'll just say yes. And then later on, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm so exhausted. How, you know, and I'm trying to figure out how to survive, but. You know, eventually it works out, but trust me, I get it of trying, you know, trying to not overextend yourself, but at the same time, having that passion for, you know, right. for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's so great. We're so lucky to love what we do. Oh my goodness. You, yes, I could not agree more. I was looking around your website and of course, um, as I mentioned earlier, I'll put all the, the links to your, your website and the program and everything in the show notes and in the blog posts. So tell me more about exactly what is sustainable life satisfaction. So I'm very excited about sustainable life satisfaction. It's a journey that started for me about five years ago. Uh, and it started sort of with <laughs> the cliche that, you know, life is short. I was at a point in my businesses where they were excelling. I was getting ready to moved to the second practice into New York, and I experienced two pretty life-altering events, one within about a six-month period of each other. One was that I was diagnosed with multiple pulmonary embolisms that were life-threatening, and then about six months after that, my father passed away. And I realized at the time that I wanted to reevaluate what I was doing and my purpose. And decided that I wanted to get off of my couch and reach more people, especially people who might not have access to therapy or might not be motivated to get into a therapist's office or might not be motivated to go in for therapy at all. So I took some time to look at what were the techniques that I've been using with clients that I thought might have been reliably working, and I was looking at cognitive behavioral techniques and some other modalities of therapy that I was using that I thought were working, and I noticed a pattern. And the majority of the techniques that I had been using on behaviors and cognitions with my clients that I noticed fall into six categories. So when I looked at that, I noticed that those six categories, when I was using them with clients and adjusting the behaviors and cognitions for those clients, it had a profound impact on their quality of life and their ability not just to cope, but actually they were thriving. And so I started to formalize those six categories into what eventually would become sustainable life satisfaction, which was very exciting for me because sustainable life satisfaction became something that then I could 
bring out to the larger community because it's something that people can learn from me but then use as tools that they can integrate into their lives on their own without having to be in a therapist's office. So sustainable life satisfaction as an approach involves six components that are closing is the first one, decision-making, facing fears, reducing people-pleasing behaviors, avoiding assumptions, and active self-reinforcement. When you take all of those together or coalesce them, my experience is that it allows people to feel contented in their lives and face challenges head on. And then I've noticed that my clients can string back, like, free from difficult times with resilience and strength and positivity. And it's amazing to me how I've seen, like, a whole cognitive landscape shift in as little as a few weeks with some clients once I've taught them the six components of sustainable life satisfaction. It's really exciting. It sounds incredible. And I'm I'm going to check it out more myself. And something that kind of struck me when you were talking about how you initially got motivated to do this, you know, with being diagnosed and then having your father pass away. I had a very similar uh, circumstance happen to me um, almost in, in a reverse. Um, this past uh, November, my father passed away. And then I ended up coming down with uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome and getting uh, admitted into the hospital. And of course, you know, I had, I had no idea what that was at the time, but it scared like the heck out of me. And it forced me to reevaluate a whole lot of things in my life, you know, where I was going, what I was doing, my time management. I mean, just everything about, you know, you know, exactly. And it it was just incredible. So when you said how those circumstances, you know, kind of brought you to the point of creating sustainable life satisfaction, I'm like, man, you know, I just totally changed my game, you know, as well, so to speak, after after something happened similar to me. So I thought that was kind of a That's kind of a so yeah, like fascinating. a isn't wow. it? Wow, that is so fascinating. I so know, I it is, and it's just it's incredible when you have such major life shakeups. How you know once you kind of regain your footing and you know and and start to move forward again, how how much you can learn from that and how inspiring it can be, really. Right, I. I actually have a term for it. When you can rebound from life events that are like that, I call it defiant resilience because I think that you can come back so much stronger than you ever thought that you could be from something that life has thrown at you that in some ways could have like kicked you to the curb or brought you down that you didn't think you could get up from. And not only did you get up, but you got up stronger with more faith in yourself and more hope and more things that you think that you can, you know, even bring to the table with other people. And I like to think of that as defiant resilience, which is exactly what happened to you. And I think that that's, it's so exciting to think about it like that, that it's it's a resilience characteristic. I love it. Defiant resilience. That is just incredible. That, that is just, just like a great term and a great way to define it. Um, I'm curious, before we move on, when you were in, in the midst of those trials, um, like how much of a of a struggle was it for you to really kind of pull yourself out of that? You know, did it happen ra- rather quickly? Was it a slow process? Did you have to make yourself kind of force yourself to move forward or did it happen 
kind of more naturally over time? So one of the, you know, I have a sort of personality where I tend not to, especially with health issues, I tend not to respond well to be told, uh, you know, you can't do this or you can't do that because you have a thing. So with the pulmonary embolism, similar to other health issues that I've had, when the doctor said, you know, take care of yourself, I had to stay in the hospital for like a week. But after that, I felt like I rebounded quickly and was very much wanting to take stock of what I needed to do because I felt like I had had a very close call with almost not being around and what did I want to, what word did I want to get out to people? What did I still want to do with my life? When my father passed, it was much more difficult. So I have found that when things happen to me, it's very easy for me to rebound to the point where it can be very frustrating for family members because they think that I'm not taking good enough care of myself. But when something happens to like, when my dad passed, that was a much harder thing to rebound from as quickly. That took more meditative time for me to come back from and feel like I had gained back my center and my footing to say, okay, you know, in terms of a legacy for him, I think that he would want me to go forward and do what I feel like I want to do with these projects and these things as opposed to sit around and continue to mourn. Yeah, that sounds a lot like me. Um, You know, when my dad passed, of course, I went through a time where I was mourning and I was, you know, pretty down and missing him and all that stuff. And I mean, I still miss him today because it's only been like, you know, less than six months since it happened. But yeah, I really no, Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I really did feel like you know, my dad was always a real go-getter in terms of just, um, I mean, he, he was a blue collar guy, but he, but he had a great work ethic and he never stopped working and helping people. And he was always motivated and kind and considerate. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, as sad and and as I am, and as down as I am right now, you know, he's not going to want me to sit around and just, you know, be, be lonely and miserable. And, you know, he, he's, he's, he's going to want me to, to move forward and to start picking up the pieces again. And, and I use that as motivation. And then like, just as I started to maybe get a little motivation to kind of pull myself out of it, of course, then I got sick and went in the hospital. And then I'm like, my God, what is going on here? And I'm thinking, you know, just kind of beat me down even more. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I know I, I was sitting there and I, I can remember sitting there laying, laying in the hospital for a week. And, and and just thinking to myself, okay, now they're saying that recovery is a minimum of six months and I cannot possibly wait that long. So, you know, I'm thinking, okay, so how, how can I move forward and what can I do and give me steps and strategies? And, you know, I have to get back to podcasting. I have to get back to coaching. I got to get back to blogging and, you know, my family and this, that, and the other thing. And so I'm thinking, you know, as much as I need to take care of myself, I cannot just sit around and wait for six months you know, for something to happen, I've got to figure out a way to make some changes and make something happen. So I love that defiant, defiant resilience. I'm definitely going to use that in the blog post. And of course I'll give you full credit because I love that term. I think it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. It's something that I feel very excited about because I think if people during times of struggle can look at it like that or have that as a mantra, maybe it will help them 
when they feel like they're falling down, find those words and feel like they can pick themselves back up. We talked a little bit about the um, about your new program, but there's also a new web series on YouTube about this. So tell us what we can expect when we check this out and what, and what we can learn and how that ties in with the overall program that you created. So I launched a web series starting in October of 2017, a monthly digital series on YouTube. It's called A Path to Sustainable Life Satisfaction, and it's made up of six, seven to eight-minute episodes, each of which highlights one of those six brand components that I mentioned to you. And for anybody that hasn't watched it or had a chance to watch it, I, I can give you a, a light, a pretty brief rundown of what each one of those segments is about. So I had mentioned to you, start, the first one is starting is easy and closing is hard because a lot of people are starters and not closers. So in that episode, people will learn the importance of closing tasks and not just starting them. And the importance of that episode is that it helps build self-confidence. The second episode is about decision-making. In that episode, people learn the importance of making decisions without fear of ramifications, and it helps people build their coping skills, and it also helps improve their chances of closing. The third episode is about facing fears. The focus of that is how do you use your fear as a positive motivator to propel and compel you to move forward in life. I like to tell people that they should think about fear as their sous chef in life or co-captain in life as opposed to being afraid of their fear. So to embrace fear instead of run from it. And that improves feelings of competency. The fourth episode is on reducing people-pleasing behaviors. And that episode focuses on avoiding situations of codependency and enmeshment. It's about learning to live an authentic life and not living in the service of others. It really helps people solidify a belief in their inherent lovability instead of living in constant fear of abandonment. And it helps people reduce the need to control people and situations. The fifth episode is on avoiding assumptions. And the focus here is not on acting based on what you think another person is thinking or act on based, based on what you think another person is feeling. It exposes how making decisions about how to proceed in a given situation based on guessing instead of facts is dangerous. And it also helps people increase the tolerance for the unknown while also decreasing the personalization that people tend to do in situations. The final episode is on active self-reinforcement, and that episode is about how to provide tangible reinforcers for yourself for a job well done. It's about making that cognitive shift from aspiring and needing reinforcement and praise from the outside world to be willing to accept self-praise. One of the things that I think a lot about is how the outside world in terms of reinforcement is fickle and unreliable. So it's really important to turn that around and be able to give ourselves praise for doing a good job and not be over-reliant on the external world. And that active self-reinforcement also helps people habituate to a new way of thinking and a new way of behaving.
So those are basically, in a nutshell, the six components of sustainable life satisfaction. And we're going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back with more of my interview with Jennifer Gutman. How you doing, my friend? This is Matt, your host right here on Beyond Your Past, a podcast all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. If you enjoy these shows, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. I would so appreciate it. Feel free also to contact me anytime. You can do so via my website, beyondyourpast.com. I'd love to hear from you. And now let's get back to the show. It sounds like an incredible web series and just, a, you know, an amazing program that, that you've developed. And I love step number six, where you're talking about reinforcing and being able to accept, you know, how far you've come and accept the praise that you give yourself and accept the wins and, uh, along the way through this program. And that's something that, you know, is so hard to do so oftentimes, especially if you're a survivor of trauma or, you know, you're a survivor of anything else and is trying to accept praise or accept that, you know, kind of giving yourself some credit. And I think, you know, I, I love that, you know, the last step is really just doing just that and reinforcing that moving forward so you can embrace everything that you've accomplished and how far you've come. So I think, I think that's a great way to wrap it up and I can't wait to uh, check it out myself as well. And um, as I said, I definitely want to make sure everybody has links to it, but I love your approach to this. Um, it's very down to earth and it seems very easy to follow as well. Like, is that correct? I think it's very easy to follow. That's the point of it is that it should be something that are tools that people can easily and effectively embrace and integrate into their lives so that it's not about going into a therapist's office. It's about changes that people can make in their lives so that they can see changes quickly, but that they have to very consciously be on top of making these cognitive shifts in a sustainable way if they want sustainable life satisfaction because a lot of it is about changing the way that they think and changing the way that they behave. And as long as they do that on a consistent basis, then the changes are clear and simple. It's just important that they do it consistently consistently, and then it is extremely easy to implement and it's both, it's good for people as young as 14, 15 I've done with and all the way up the age range. But I also think it's great for parents because it's, it's great for using as in terms of modeling for parents with young children. Um, as opposed to, you know, because it doesn't, it doesn't show reliance on the external world. It really shows how important it is to learn to be proud of yourself from within, as opposed to learning to be proud of yourself from the outside world, which is, is not the best way to look for reinforcement. And I think you're absolutely right about what you said about self-reinforcement, because the the component that I find that people have the most difficult time implementing is the sixth component, which is one of the reasons why it's last, because to get people to reinforce themselves is extremely difficult because they find themselves undeserving and specifically say they find themselves undeserving that unless they find like an outside measure of their deservedness, they have a hard time believing that they should give themselves a tangible reinforcer. So to get them to make a cognitive shift that they're the ones that self-evaluate and they're the best evaluators of their performance as opposed to an outside evaluator is very complicated. And then to get them to come up with what tangible reinforcers 
are is also complicated. But some of my clients who have done the best job at this have come up with great things like buying themselves flowers on the way home or one guy gets his shoes shined or, you know, getting like a five-minute massage kind of thing. So people have come up with good ideas, but it's very hard to get them to do it on a consistent basis. Yeah, no, it's it's so hard to embrace anything positive, anything along the lines of us deserving anything good. Um, so, you know, you know, and I mean, I've struggled with that, too. And of course, I still struggle with it at times. And some of the clients I work with and, you know, people I've talked to survivors of trauma and stuff. One of the biggest things that always comes up is, you know, I don't deserve happiness. I don't deserve to feel good. I don't deserve right. to 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 heal and, and to feel right. better. And so you're right. It's so hard. And I. I found it when I first started working with a therapist, you know, and she, and she would try and get me to embrace that. I'd be like, are you nuts? I'd be like, there is no way that, that, you know, I am worthy of being happy. There's no way that I'm worthy of healing. I don't deserve to, you know, to do uh, good things for myself because I'm so ashamed and I have such a traumatic past and nobody can love me and I can't love myself and all this stuff. Which is why one of the important pieces of this is about finding your inherent lovability because if you don't inherently love yourself, it's really hard to be loved by other people. And also it it causes us to then have chronic fears of abandonment, which definitely does not lead to sustainable life satisfaction. All of the behaviors that we do after that are not going to lead to feelings of sustainable life satisfaction until we can have a, a secure sense of our belief in our lovability it's not going to help us feel sustainably satisfied. So well said. Perfectly said. I love it. What does it mean when um, in your bio, it says that you don't quote unquote pedal happiness? So <laughs> one of the, when I was starting to go on this journey of what it was that I wanted to say, one of the things that had been difficult for me is I had many clients coming into my office very frustrated and in existential despair because they felt like they were failing at being happy. So one of the battles that I think that I've noticed over the years is that people are chronically searching for happiness. However, happy is not a sustainable emotion. Happy is a dopamine push. It's like a shot in the arm or an an endorphin rush, it's like a chemical high. So it's fleeting. Happiness is when you get, you're waiting for a text and the text comes in, or your first kiss, or when the sun comes out after it's been raining for a few days, or when you see the beach after you've been in the snow for, you know, months. So happiness is, in my opinion, happiness is the wrong goal. Because happiness is not the foundation for a contented life. It doesn't equip you with the skills you need to navigate the endless challenges that everyone faces day to day. And I don't think that it's sustainable because I don't think that people can feel joy and happiness at a constant steady state. So... Then, when people are told that they're supposed to work really hard at being happy, and if you work hard enough at being happy, and I don't think that it's achievable, 
they come in and they feel like they're failing at something that they should be able to achieve. And I think that's very unfortunate. So what I believe is that satisfaction and contentment are achievable with moments of happiness and joy along the way. Sustainable life satisfaction helps give people the tools to navigate towards a way of life that would yield sustainable contentment with tons of joy. And I think that that is a much more reasonable goal than telling people that they can be happy. So I think that, it's a great that point. way I don't peddle happiness. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And as you were talking about, it's an unrealistic goal to try and be happy all the time. I'm thinking to myself, okay, so then the real goal is going to be contentment and acceptance and, you know, those, those types of words. And then of course you said them and I'm like, I'm like, okay, so, so we're definitely on the right page there. Cause I was, right. I was thinking and, and you're right. I mean, it's, it really is in my opinion. And um, I agree with you. It's not a realistic goal to be happy all the time. I mean, there, there's just too many things in life that go on on a daily basis, things right. that happen to you in your career and your relationships and your friendships and whatever part of your life you want to think about that, you know, just aren't always happy times. And, and to try and say, I need to be happy 24 hours a day. It's just, it's unrealistic. It feels fake because it's, yeah, yep. you're right because it's not sustainable, but accepting yourself and being content with where you are and being able to ride out those ups and downs and right. find the joy in all, you know, in as many cis in between. And, and, right. Exactly. Yep. And, and I think that's where a lot of us, um, you know, struggle a lot of times when working with clients and whatnot. And of course I struggle with it too is, well, I want to be happy in life. I don't want, I don't want to be miserable. Well, you know, right. You, there's, there, there's a scale or a balance that you have to find right. of happiness and contentment and uh, a, uh, acceptance. Right. Like people say to me all the time, I want to be happy. And then I'll say, well, what is, what is happy? Like what's your expectation about happy because I think your expectation has to be realistic and not Pollyannish when you say you want to be happy. Uh, Let's talk about what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. And I think when you break it down that way, it immediately causes you to kind of get some perspective in your own desire to be happy. So um, I have um, just one more question for you because I want to be respectful of your time. And maybe you can share a little bit about how being a cognitive behavioral therapist um, equips you to be a motivator and to make these programs and, and, and to, you know, really kind of push yourself to help people in new um, and uh, exciting ways. I think I see the world differently than most people see the world because I see all human beings as flawed but I don't see human flaw with judgment or righteousness. I don't see it through that lens. Instead, I see it, I embrace it as an opportunity for growth and education. And I see human flaw as an opportunity for a path to move forward. And I think that's one of the reasons that I decided to become a motivator because I human flaw as a beautiful and positive thing and not as a negative thing. And the benefits of that have been enormous for me. And that's what's been so exciting for me to watch so many of my clients make positive and enduring life changes. I'm so incredibly grateful to all of them who've supported and helped me to show me the strength and utility of all of this 
sustainable life satisfaction techniques that I'm trying to put out into the world as they've tried to implement them into their lives. I think that that's what's helped me decide that I wanted to be a motivator and being trained as a cognitive behaviorist has taught me that in order to effectively motivate people, it needs to come from a base of behavioral therapy because in behavioral therapy, it's really important to master small life changes before you move on to bigger life tasks. And that strategy sets people up for success, not for failure. And success experiences help people habituate effectively to new ways of thinking and new ways of acting. And if what I'm trying to do as a motivator is change the way people think and change the way people act so that I can get more life satisfaction for people, then that really needs to be done by celebrating one small change at a time. And cognitive behavior therapy as a base for me helps me celebrate small change at a time. I think it's so well said. And it's something that I've tried to embrace as well in my own healing journey from my past and um, celebrating every small win, every small victory, every small, anything that's positive in my life just builds momentum and it builds up, you know, self-esteem and, 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 and just, I think that's such a, a great way, a great foundation for, for any, any program is, you know, if you can't celebrate the small little things along the way, the big things don't, I guess maybe kind of mean as much, I guess, like to say it in, in kind of a different way, or they don't take on as much meaning, or you can't enjoy them as much because you haven't em- allowed yourself to embrace all the small things that you've done. So you've been waiting to get to some big magical goal somewhere or, or whatever is coming, but you have, but you've completely lost sight of the journey along the way. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Jennifer, this has been incredible. I am so um, honored that you were able to uh, take some time this evening and and talk with us. So why don't we wrap it up and you can share um, where people can find you on the web, find your programs, the YouTube channel, and also what's ahead for you as far as uh, future programs. So in terms of finding me, (laughs) I'm I'm on YouTube. My website is gutmanpsychology.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can find me in all those places. I have um, the web series on there. I have blogs on all of those other mediums, so you can find some things that I'm writing about. The most recent one I just wrote was on the beauty of human flaws, so you can find some things that I'm writing about that. I, in terms of future aspirations, you know, I want to just keep using my voice and my pen to help you know, continue to realize this dream I have of getting out the word about sustainable life satisfaction to as large of an audience as I can, uh, because I've been really excited about people's response to it. So I'm hoping to just do more speaking engagements. I'm having the information from the YouTube series transcribed and put into a workbook that should be on sale shortly. And I'm also in the process of getting a book done um, and hoping to do more podcast like this and I honestly can't thank you enough Matthew for sharing your audience with me and giving me the opportunity to talk about sustainable life satisfaction because it's been such a pleasure to converse with you about it and um, you know share my excitement about it with you it's been really an honor so I can't thank you enough the pleasure is all mine. I've enjoyed learning about this program and I'll be sure and put all the links, as I said, in, in the show notes and everything. 
Um, I, I love what you're doing. Um, I would love to bring you back in the future and we can talk about the workbook and, and, and we can talk more about the programs and kind of dive deep in, in this and into some of the aspects of your practice and strategies and working with clients. So thanks again, Jennifer. It's been incredible. I'd love that. That sounds great. And thank you again so much. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional medical help or mental health counseling. If you've ever considered working with a certified coach, Or if you simply have questions about how working with a coach can benefit you, just head on over to beyondyourpast.com for more information and to schedule your free introductory session. We'll work together to figure out what's holding you back so that you can realize your full potential and discover the authentic you. Remember, you are worth it. Achieving your goals and waking up each day knowing that you can handle what's coming and thrive is something that everyone deserves. So take that first step and contact me today and let's do this. Talk to you soon.